Travis, how do I know you guys are you? Shut up. <laughs> are, are you you? I just gave you a very good hint that it's me. But somebody who knows you could do a deep fake of you saying shut the fuck up. No, the thing is, if it were me, I would say shut the fuck up. What a dumb question. But if it weren't me, I would be like, well, Adam, of course it's me. It looks like me. Sounds like me. It's me. His belligerence is his verification. <laughs> you know, but the rise of AI, I think we might actually have to resort to being awful with each other to realize that we're being real. This is what I've been training for. <laughs> Today's guest is going to help us figure out whether we can trust anyone ever again. And with that, welcome to What the Hack, a true cybercrime podcast. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Brett Johnson. Gentlemen, how are you? Now, Brett, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I'm just a good Christian kid. <laughs> That's it. Really? Praise the Lord. No, no. Have you ever been in trouble with the Lord? You know, I had, uh, at one point during my criminal career, I had toyed with the idea of going to seminary school. I decided not to because of profound lack of faith. <laughs> You ask who I was for your listeners. My name is Brett Johnson. United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. And how did I get the title? Well, 39 felonies placed on the United States Most Wanted list. I escaped from prison, and if that weren't enough, I built and ran the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. It's a precursor of today's Darknet and Darknet markets. It lays the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels operate. And I've got to tell you, there's nothing at all to be prideful in that. You know, that, that idea of build, building a platform that victimizes people or organizations, both. And uh, that's what I did. That's what I'm responsible for. And I, I take no pride in that whatsoever. There's no pride to be had in stealing money. You turned, right? Yeah. And after yeah. That, that, there was a big turn in your career. There's a big turn. I was very fortunate. I'm the guy that was given chance upon chance and opportunity. People believed in me. And I, I, from my wife, my sister, and then finally the FBI, I was given this opportunity to turn my life around. I took it. And today, I lead a very blessed life that I am, uh, I am proud of that. I am. I, I help businesses and consumers to protect them against the type of person that I used to be. I'm an ambassador for AARP. I speak across the planet. I've got a couple of shows where I, excuse my language, but I've got a couple of shows where I say the that no one else will say. Indeed. So, uh, Indeed. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I call out the good guys. I call out the bad guys. And for some odd reason, the former U.S. most wanted criminal is kind of a moral compass in the cybersecurity industry these days. I take it seriously about doing the right thing. I preach it constantly, and I try to get other people to do that as well. And you you have a new title next to your name, Chief Criminal Officer. Well, you know, last year, Arcos Labs hired me as the Chief Criminal Officer. What does that mean exactly? Uh, well, what uh, that means is, is that's a marketing gimmick. They don't want me I to know, say that. I get, I get that, but <laughs> no. What, what, were they, yeah. what, what were they thinking? What's the gimmick? What am I supposed to think when I see that? So what happened was, all fairness, Arcos does a very good job with bot mitigation. They're a good company. The CEO, Kevin, Kevin Goschok, talked to me and he was like, I've always wanted me a Kevin Mitnick. <laughs> 
Kevin Mitnick was a legend. He's the reason we have the term social engineering. Right. Before I had Kevin Mitnick, their officer over there, and he was like, I've always wanted a Kevin Mitnick. You're the guy. I'm like, okay. So they brought me in and they called it a chief criminal officer. We're going to start a brand new C-suite position just for you. And I'm like, oh, that sounds good. So it started as a marketing gimmick. And once I started talking to some of their companies about the type of fraud they were being hit with and saving their companies some money, it was no longer a gimmick at that point in time. What kind of cybercrime are you thinking about most right now? Three things. And that's because I had a meeting today with some law enforcement officials and we were talking about these crimes that were going on. And, and top of the food chain right now for beginning cyber criminals is refunded fraud. There's been a lot of arrests. It's going to be announced sometime in the very near future about how many people they've actually rounded up that I was able to assist with. Now, that's number one. And we're going to get to two and three, refunding fraud. So refunding fraud, basically it's the process of a criminal ordering, say, a laptop, a cell phone, what have you, they get it in, and then they get to keep that product and get their money back at the same time. And there's a few different ways you can do that as a criminal. You can say, hey, it didn't arrive. I didn't get it. Sometimes the company will send you a replacement or they'll give the money back. You can say, yeah, I got the retail. Yeah, it's in the, I got the box. It's not in the box. And they'll send you a replacement item like that. Most of the time these days, what happens is this thing called FTID fake or false tracking identification. They send you a shipping label. Then you can manipulate the shipping label to make the company actually thinks they've received the item back. You get to keep it and you get your money back at the same time. Now you kids out there, we don't want you doing this. That's how I got my tractor. <laughs> what kind of shipping label goes on a tractor? Cybercrime has always pivoted off failures of the imagination. Criminals make a living being imaginative, finding vulnerability and exploiting. I'm guessing that's the drivetrain of refund scam. Exactly. The issue with refund, a lot of the refunding fraud that's going on is that they use return centers. So when I buy that cell phone from Apple and I decide I want to return it, it doesn't go back to Apple. It goes back to some return warehouse where as soon as they scan the label into the system, it registers with Apple that that item has been returned and then Apple gives the money back. That's a lot of the issue there. So a lot of it has to do with policies and procedures that they're not implementing because they view that as causing undue friction to good customers. The issue when you have these things happening, you will have fraudsters that take advantage of that. It was convenience versus security, right? Well, exactly. And, and I, I honestly don't see the need. I, I do a lot of shopping online. I get Amazon boxes four out of seven days, but I don't see the need of giving an instant refund. Why would a company ever do that? For example, Adidas, they were talking about on Telegram for refunding fraud. You could order up to $150,000 worth of product. And as soon as that shipping label, the return label was scanned into the system, they would immediately give the money back to the account. Why? First of all, what are you going to buy from Adidas if it's 150K? Nothing's worth that from Adidas. Wasn't Zappos famous for that? Is that that Zappos was their big said, thing? That was their claim to fame. Right. And Zappos was doing it this past Christmas and they were getting eaten alive with a refunding fraud as well. So here's the thing is you got this friction that you're trying to avoid because you want to have a good customer experience. Right. You want people to say it's great doing business with X, Y, and Z. What is that going to cost us? For every crime that occurs, we're getting five sales or 10 sales. So we're just going to eat it. Cost of doing business. Right. Cost, cost of doing business. business. 
And so that, that to me is very striking. And, and so the law enforcement is like, well, we don't have the resources to take care of this. And businesses also are saying, we don't have the resources to take care of this because we can't do it without putting a wrinkle in what we're doing, which is working. Right. But think of that idea of the cost of doing business. And that pervades every single vertical that's out there, even the government benefit vertical. You look at the stimulus fraud. You look at all the unemployment fraud that happened during the pandemic. That was the cost of being able to get money out to the people who needed it. The PPP, yeah. Yeah. And now, so what we're looking at here and what I'm hearing you say is we're living in a crime culture where you can make a good living as a criminal figuring out how to sap some money from your host without killing it. Right. It's, and it's, it's accepted. It's essentially parasitic. It's like a beneficial symbiotic paras parasite sort of behavior. Right. When I was committing fraud, it was not accepted. These days, fraud is not necessarily frowned upon. Right? It's not. You look at... It sounds like it's just a, it's just a, an annoyance. Yeah. So you look at the, the pandemic fraud, the stimulus fraud that was going on. A lot of the people who were committing that, you know what? Government can afford it and it's accepted. You look at all those telegram fraudsters. It's, it's not about justifying the crime. It's, it's already accepted out of the gate. But what they forget about is we're all paying for that ultimately. That's exactly right. Whether higher prices, programs being cut, taxes being raised, ultimately the people pay for it. You take California, for example, hit with over. So they... <laughs> They started saying $12 billion, it got up to $23 billion, and I think it's at $34 billion for unemployment fraud losses. It's probably oh, higher. 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 It's probably going to hit $100 billion. Who pays for that? We do. The unemployment tax per employee is going from $9 to $420 over the next nine years. Whoa. Yeah, because they got to pay that money back to the federal government. That's how they're paying it back. So yeah, we all suffer from that. And for some reason, we're not doing, you know, there, there's not proper regulations. Companies aren't instituting the proper security. People aren't taking the proactive stance on security and demanding that companies are good stewards of our data and we're being eaten alive because of it. And is most of that just on the basis of COVID era rules or is that something that's just kind of baked into the system at this point? I think it's baked into the system. I think that what COVID did is it opened the eyes to a lot of potential fraudsters. Prior to the pandemic, most cyber criminals looked at tax fraud and fantasized about committing Medicare Part B fraud. Because of what happened with the pandemic and the government putting those stimulus programs in with no security in place for at least six months, you had a lot of fraudsters that now look toward that government vertical. That's now one of the main verticals they look at where can I profit? Where can I commit fraud? So they do FEMA fraud, unemployment, uh, SSDI. They do SNAP fraud. Anything that, that's profitable can scale up fairly well is what they're doing. Well, in the old days, crime was guys doing drug deals under street lamps at midnight. Now with the internet, you have people sitting in living rooms of motels simply typing social security numbers into computers so they can file fake tax returns. Here's the bigger problem. Law enforcement and the prosecutorial side of it has not yet come of age in the cyber era. Back in the day, armed robbery was different from assault. There were aggravating factors in a crime, and they often involved use of force or the threat of the use of force. And that is no longer on the table 
yet some of the damage is worse, way worse. Right. right. It, it absolutely is. And I, and here, here's an interesting tidbit. It's anecdotal, but it's interesting. When I went to prison, most of the incarcerated people there were there for conspiracy, drug conspiracy. They were slinging dope to pay for an existing habit. They knew who I was. They would often come to me and ask advice on how to commit crime online because they were tired of being caught on the street corner. They were like, how can we do this online? And I'll be honest, with you, I taught them. I, I would actually absolutely sit down and walk them through this kind of stuff. And we're seeing that now there's no need to sling dope on a street corner under that light like Adam was talking about. That's, that's one way to go to prison very quickly. It's much safer to sling that dope on a, a archetype marketplace, the old Silk Road, something like that, where you've got a degree of security, where you've got a payment instrument in this, whether it be Monero or Bitcoin, that's somewhat anonymous, especially in Monero, but that is anonymous. So you've got an ability to take money that the government can't see. Can you deliver it securely without it being identified? Well, if you know what you're doing, you can. You've got systems that accept Monero to ship. So you don't even have to walk into the post office at all. You can print the label off, fix it to a box, take a road trip and start dropping it off in the blue boxes and rural areas all of a sudden. So it becomes very difficult to, to identify that. And profit potential is much higher than that guy that's slinging dope at that trap stop. So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it, I like it, and they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Adam, how are you moving into 2024? Oh, man, I'm ripped, ready to go. So what are you going to do about it? Travis already did something about it. He got one of these electric e-bikes that are called, easy to remember, electric e-bike. It's really well built. It looks awesome. It folds up, so it saves space in your house. It rides just like a regular bike. But if you're going up hills and you need things to be a little bit easier, it gives you a boost. When he got his bike, the first thing that I saw was the financing could be as low as $49 a month. It ships free. It comes fully assembled. I'm thinking about getting one for my son. It adds a lot of activity to everyday life. You can run errands on it. And on one charge, you can get up to 150 miles. That's really impressive. And the speed can hit up to 28 miles an hour. So explore 2024 with electric e-bikes. 
the most accessible and adventurous e-bikes ever. Visit electricebikes.com and be sure to mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. All right, now what's number two, Brad? Number two. What is interesting to me is the way that Telegram, so Telegram is the wild west of cybercrime right now. A lot of criminals, you've got more criminals on Telegram than you do the traditional dark web. What's interesting is the way that Telegram is evolving, mimicking the dark web fraud environment. Fraud was number one. Over time, we started to see the drug trade come into those environments because of the profit of drugs higher than that of fraud-related services. We're seeing that happening now in Telegram environments. All of a sudden, you've got the drug environment coming into those fraud arenas as well and mixing in there because the profit potential is so high. What's really interesting, though, is that Telegram fraudsters and cyber criminals and drug dealers are nowhere near as sophisticated as the traditional dark web counterparts. Those people on the dark web, they, they have their operational security in place. They know how to remain anonymous. They know how to properly launder money. On Telegram, you've got people, they take selfies of themselves, post snapshots of receipts, of order numbers. They dox each other, real identities of these criminals that are posted on these Telegram channels. It's very easy for law enforcement to identify many of these Telegram criminals, whereas their dark web counterparts are much more difficult. That evolution is really interesting to me, the way things are working out on Telegram. That's number two. This is sounding a lot like the millennial version of um, Silk Road. Yeah, yeah, that was like the original dark web. I mean, you could buy almost anything. Anything from, like, literally, like guns, heroin, you name it, you could get it there. I mean, this is like millennials are, you know, a little dopier than Gen X. No offense, all you millennials out there. <laughs> it just sounds like what they would do if they had Silk Road. They'd screw it up. Well, yes, yes, they would screw it up. The reason that Telegram has become so popular compared to the Tor browser, the dark web, is Telegram is almost friction-free. The traditional dark web, it's got a lot of friction. You have to download the browser, configure the browser properly, or you're going to be identified by law enforcement. You have to know where you're going because there is no search function on Tor. You have to watch out for criminals creating phishing sites of dark web marketplaces and forums and things like that. Telegram is not like that. Telegram is an app that you download. You can run it on your phone. You can run it on your browser. It's encrypted end-to-end, -end, and it's owned by a Russian who refuses to answer any request for subpoenas. That means you can pretty much do whatever you want. The initial people who show up on Telegram to commit fraud and deal drugs are unsophisticated. You're talking street-level gangs. These people, they have no clue on the importance of operational security, of remaining anonymous. Their only real operational security is, and you see this posted on the different channels, they'll talk about this. There are so many of us on these platforms that law enforcement cannot arrest all of us. So law enforcement, they shut down a channel, say of 44,000 fraudsters. They shut that down. How many of those people are you going to prosecute? If you were able to identify all of them and you can't, so you're going to identify 800 to 1,000 of them. Are you going to prosecute 800 people? No. So when you get to somebody who's doing a completely nonviolent crime, they're probably not getting prosecuted very much. Am I right about that? I mean, you're not wrong about that. that that's the issue. It's You look at law enforcement, the numbers. 
you've got 37,000 FBI field agents across 56 field offices. Of those 37,000 agents, only about 280 of them concentrate on cybercrime. 280 spread across all 50 states. So say in a certain district or feds that you decide to prosecute just 200 people. Say all 200 people decide, no, we're not going to take plea bargains. We're going to take it to, to trial. What do you do at that point? There's no logistical way that you can try 200 people. You can't do it. And that's why you can't charge these people. So you got law enforcement numbers, you got the logistical problems that are going on. You've got the jurisdictional problems, the numbers of law enforcement across the board. And, and that equates to a lot of these people will never be arrested. So you target the people who run the channels, you target the number one customers that are there, and you hope that that sends a message to everyone else across the board. And it does sometimes. Brett, what's the third type of cybercrime that you've been thinking a lot about lately? So we've got 8,500 security companies plus out there. We've got a lot of mass media and they tend to latch on to whatever the trending phrase is of that year. You know, a couple of years ago, it was a metaverse. We got to watch out for fraud on the metaverse. The past year, year and a half, it's been AI. Now, that's not number three. What is number three is deep fakes, whether they be audio, video, both. We had a story that came out uh, yesterday or today about a business email compromise to the tune of $25 million. An employee is contacted by their CEO. Video-wise, the employee doesn't believe that, so the CEO invites all the other big shot callers for that company to come in for a roundtable Zoom session. And I guess it was six other people that show up and the other six were deep fakes as well in order to convince the employee to send out the $25 million. So are we talking Mission Impossible style, like printed face? It sounds to me like you just described the ability of a person to have a filter that makes them look exactly like someone else. Right. So that's that's exactly what we're talking about, that type of deep face. So, so imagine that you've got a filter where you can look like Joe Biden or look like Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi. I don't know who the hell would ever want to do that. And sound like these people too? And sound like them. All right. Now, historically, that has not been able to be done in real time. AI will absolutely get us there. We're already seeing that with ByteDance, with their product that allows that real-time deepfake conversation to go on. Think about the implications of that. Now you've got the ability to act like a CEO of a company, call up or Zoom the payroll department and divert funds. Is there some way that you don't have access to these filters? Could you give us a sample of this or is it not quite there yet? Where it's, are it's we? It's not there. It's not. Like that guy on TikTok that does the deep fakes of Tom Cruise. That takes yeah. a lot of work. He's already got the bone structure of Tom Cruise, the facial features and things like that. So it fits fairly well. That's the way the deep fakes are being done right now, where they look decent. All right. So there's no way Clint Eastwood could pretend to be Tracy Morgan. <laughs> It'd be difficult. <laughs> you're talking about being able to use deep fakes to the point where you're not able to trust anything that you see or hear online. We're pretty close to that. We are. But there's the rub because as Adam, you know, we were talking about friction and companies trying to figure out how to make their bottom line make more sense than the, the, the nuisance of crime. But if we get to a point where nobody can trust anything, you got some serious friction. 
yes, you do. out there. And so the real problem I'm seeing here is AI, the reason AI is getting bigger and bigger is because people see gold in them, our hills. Right. And you're seeing those issues right now, not even with, with AI and deepfakes popping up. You're seeing these platforms, whether it be eBay, um, Target that does the third-party sellers, Chrono24 that sells third-party watches, things. You're seeing these platforms where individuals who, who used to use them and were making good money, they know they're starting to disband. They're starting to, to give it up because of the amount of fraud that's being hit there and the platforms are not supporting the seller. So you can't trust, you can't trust the sellers. You can't trust the buyers all of a sudden. Now you add in deep fakes and AI and you're right. It dries up and then you're starting to lose money. And then the economy, because let's be honest, most people do online shopping these days. So what happens? Are we going to go back to a brick and mortar system? I don't think we are. But you, you know, you also run the risk too, when you're talking about the stability of companies and stock market reactions, you could have someone doing a deep fake of a CEO of a mega company that makes an absolutely outrageous remark that causes such backlash that their company is irretrievably wounded. Oh, yeah. And then you go the ultimate step, which is we're already living in an age where people are extremely worried about disinformation and misinformation. You can absolutely destroy political careers in a heartbeat. As AI gets better, we're going to get to the point where security companies cannot recognize a deep fake. That's one of the reasons that you see these Web3 people talking about having videos and identities on the blockchain. You're able to verify like that. Well, that's all good, but that does not stop what Adam was talking about. One thing I wonder about with AI is how limited that is to the available data. Uh, you mentioned Tom Cruise, but he's been in movies since like the 80s at this point. Uh, we have tons of footage of him. Good point. Ditto Jordan Peele's Obama. Yeah, or Joe Biden. Yeah. What is the risk for people who are not as ubiquitous? So you, you take you take you, Travis, for example. Have you seen what Adobe's doing with being able to fill in pictures? Say you you take a snapshot of something and you're wanted to, I think the example that I saw was of a of a canoe. All right. And the canoe, half of it is a nice shot because that, that canoe's in part of a, a grassy type area. But the rest of the picture is loaded with trash objects and things like that. Well, what Adobe has made is they, they allow you to remove all those trash objects. And then it, it figures out what that picture would look like if the entire area were grassy and beautiful. And you come up with a really sweet picture. And I think you've seen this, Adam, in ads for Google phones. The yes. Go all the new mm -hmm. Android phones are able to do this. It's great if you want to take an X out of a photo. Right. It's, right. It's wonderful for that. But now apply that same technology to simply taking someone that's on Facebook or LinkedIn, that CEO that's on LinkedIn. He may just have a frontal or a profile picture, but is AI good enough? Not yet. Will it be good enough that they can figure out what the rest of that face should look like? The answer is probably yes. Hey guys, have you heard about this new thing that HackerOne is doing? 
They're red teaming AI. What does that even mean, red teaming AI? Well, you know what red teaming is, right? Yeah, it's when you send in a group of, you know, white hat hackers basically to go in and try and break something. Right. So in this case, they're offering their services to red team companies that have AI based products. So does that mean they're trying to get the AI that companies use to divulge something that it shouldn't be divulging? Yeah, 100%. AI uses something called large language models, which means that they go through huge amounts of data in order to be able to come to conclusions and be able to interact with customers sort of in a human way. Unfortunately, that means that there's a lot of room for error, especially if it's trade secrets or something involving security. I feel like I could probably trick AI with some cool questions. So HackerOne, if you're looking for somebody to red team, I will red team with them because I like it a lot. Well, as, as we like to say, if you can take Bo off our hands, please take him. Well... Even if they were to take both of our hands, HackerOne does have over 750 active hackers, and they're ethical. Surely one of them like went on a date and ghosted or something <laughs> like that. They're not all ethical. They can't be. Yeah, Bo, I'm, I'm not sure you understand what ethical hacker means. Or ad reads. To find out more, just go to hackerone.com slash AI. That's hackerone.com slash AI. Well, you know, we've talked about how people are living through this, the deepfakes on a personal level, like for instance, extortion and manipulation of photographs or creating nude versions of people who are, then you go to the economic version of it, which is someone destroys a company by doing a deepfake of the exec. Now you go to the elections with disinformation and misinformation, then you go to national security where there is supposedly a statement by the president of the United States or some leader of another nation that just sets the world on fire. That sounds like a movie. It, it does. could be. It could be. I absolutely agree. Look at the riots that happened during the pandemic. Then look at the flip side of January 6th, if you want to compare it to that too. You've got both sides that are... You know, they're, they're, they're a little, it's a bit of a powder keg already. You know, both sides, it, you no longer are able to voice an opinion and still be friends with someone on the opposite side. If you have a different opinion from them, you're an enemy. So now you use a deep fake to say something incendiary, something that, that absolutely is a national security problem. I don't know what that would be, but by God, it's going to be bad. All right. The question is, will people believe that? People tend to believe their eyes and ears without verifying. So they're going to see somebody say something. It's going to go viral because that's the way the algorithms work on social media platforms. And unfortunately, we're, we're seeing the death of a lot of journalism online right now. So where are you going to get that verified that it wasn't legitimate? It's going to be difficult because it's already went viral on the social media platforms. The powder kegs already went off. Now, later on, yeah, later on, you can come up and say, you know, it was a deep fake all the way, but the damage has already been done by that point. And I think that's the, that's the main issue. That we're it's like when you're sifting through the rubble, that's <laughs> a little late. A lot of these cities, they exploded because law enforcement was shooting unarmed individuals. Okay. So now you take this deep fake technology, you take the video of law enforcement shooting an assailant, the assailant absolutely armed, but deep fake allows you to remove that firearm where it makes it look like law enforcement shot some individual who was unarmed. City explodes. 
three days later, it comes out that, well, it was a deep fake. The guy was actually armed and he was shooting back at law enforcement. The damage has been done at that point. You can't take that back. So what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? I think people are so jaded at this point that uh, you can have someone say, hey, you should get uh, vaccinated against this like hyper plague. And people say, eh, no. I honestly think that even if you were to have the most convincing footage in the world of the president saying, run for the hills, you'd still have people who didn't believe it, even if they didn't think it was a deep fake. You would. 47%, or what is the percentage, Adam, of people who are diehard um, on both sides? Something like that, 47%. It's probably at least 47%. Well, no, it depends. Within specific groups in politics, you have either 84% or 73% supporting whoever they support. And they're not going to, and they're going to look at that report that Travis was just talking about and be like, meh, probably not. It's all about that which reinforces what you already believe. My question is, are we ever going to get to the point where more people are speaking up, calling out the stuff that needs to be called out, or are we just going to continue to lay down and take it? What does it take to get us there? Because I honestly don't know. And I struggle with that every day. Outrage is building, but people prefer to take the safe route. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to get fired. They don't want their friends to stop talking to them. They don't want to have trouble at the family Thanksgiving dinner. And the people who do speak up, there are so few of them that the consequences are there. You're go- you are going to upset somebody that's got some money and you're going to lose out on something. And the question becomes, is the principle more important? Well, fortunately for me, it is. It used to be the money was more important. But if we can get to the point where more people are speaking up and pointing these things out, it becomes much more difficult to punish every single one of those people. When your numbers are small, it's easy to think, but we need more people doing that. Well, I think there's an irony there too, because as a uh, society, I think we've become a lot more censorious, but at the same time, there are a lot more forums than we've ever had before. Yeah. If you say like, okay, I got kicked off of this platform, I can go into Mastodon. There's a lot of different outlets, but I think one of the main problems too is that there are so many outlets that it's kind of hard to be able to tell which one is trustworthy to a certain extent. Right. So it's the old Howard Beale moment in network mad as hell. And I am not going to take this anymore. You know, when is that going to happen? Is, is it in the refund center, the return center? <laughs> is it going to be somebody in the Amazon warehouse saying I'm mad? No. Is it right. someone on telegraph who's like, I'm sick of you guys giving away my trade secrets. No, it's not going to be there either, but it might be that all of us right, left, and center do get fed up with this. And I actually think this election may be the tipping point. The question is, is it going to be, you know, punk getting tipped to a fuse and all hell breaking loose? Or is it going to be a centrist sanity seeping into the populace? Which I'm surprised I'm saying, but it does seem to be the only place for something positive to happen. And see, I'll disagree with you there. A person can be rational and smart. A group cannot be. So we're talking about groups that are voting for an individual already on a powder keg. And you already see on the Republican side, Trump is beating Nikki Haley in her own state by 29 points. So is there a moment to be hopeful here? What do you see as a positive coming 
over the next few years as a result of the evolution of technology than your work. I've got a lot of apathy right now in cybersecurity. It's toward the industry as a whole because I interact every single day with people who are intent on doing the right thing and are more than willing to piss people off or lose that contract. So there's that ray of hope. I look at law enforcement. Like I said, I had a nice lunch with them this morning and uh, I see these guys that they really just want to do the right thing. They really want to help people. We have that core that's there. And I think the problem is that core oftentimes gets poisoned by management and that idea of profit and our society as a whole, which is people talk about individualism too much instead of the people helping one another. I really believe it may happen because of the election. It may happen because of some sort of catastrophic cyber attack. I truly believe that when the hits the fan, we as human beings will reach out and help one another. I truly believe that because the, 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 the not believing that I, I can't accept the possibility that that would not happen. Brett, you were awesome. Thank you so much. And we really appreciate you coming back. You do. You do a fantastic job. I appreciate it. If people want to hear more about what you're doing, share what you're saying, where, where can they find you? So where can you find Brett Johnson? Uh, first of all, you can find me on LinkedIn. You just simply search for my name. I'm there. I'm prolific on LinkedIn. That being said, I've also got a couple of podcasts on YouTube and all the podcast platforms that out, that's out there. I've got the Brett Johnson show. We've revamped that to where that show now is talking about how to be a better person, because that's, that's really what interests me more than cybersecurity and cybercrime. So that's the Brett Johnson show. I also talk about a lot of crime on the new podcast called Criminal Thoughts. So please visit those if you like them subscribe and continue to watch. And thank you again so much, Adam, for bringing me on. I appreciate it. And now it's time for our tinfoil spawn. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Okay, what's on your mind this week, sir? Did you hear the security researchers have recently discovered Facebook ads have been used to spread a new strain of malware? Well, also like panties and and I got an ad for hashish the other day. So, um, hashish? How, did you? Did you? Hashish. You did. Yeah. I did. I actually did click on the hash ad because I used to love hash. Um, you can, you can, you know, find yourself though downloading malware if you're not careful. I actually did read about this, not the hashish part. A phony job listing downloads files to your computer and it allows the threat actor to exfiltrate your login credentials. That's Travis speak for how you get on your account. <laughs> Affirmative. But I think one of the main things that people might not be aware of is how easy it is to set up a fake ad campaign. Not just on Facebook. If you have a credit card, you can advertise anywhere online. Well, yeah, but compromised credit cards are the real problem here. The barrier to entry is almost non-existent. Yeah, I mean, one would think that Google and Meta would deploy advanced malware and scam detection software and algorithms. Or if you're like me, you would assume that they just don't. I mean. By the same score, you would assume that Bubblicious would keep spider eggs out of their product, but they don't. You know, come on. It's Thanks for that nightmare. It's, like, Jeez. it's an age-old problem. Like, you know, if your product is good enough, then, you know, Tally Ho Fox. 
When these scammy websites are discovered, they're taken down pretty fast. By then, the damage has been done. Okay, so let's talk about what people can actually do. Bear in mind, there isn't much quality control when it comes to online ads. Just because you're seeing an ad at the top of your search results or embedded in your social media feed, that doesn't make it legit. So do your homework. If you see a job listing on an ad, independently confirm it's for a company that's actually a business with a physical address and not your boss trying to see if you're looking for a job. And while you're at it, read reviews on sites like Glassdoor to see if you even want to work there. But like, but for real, use your head. If it's an ad for an online store, check to see if there are any reviews, how long it's been around, and if there's actually a customer service line. There are a lot of little details scammers don't bother with. They don't need to. They're counting on you to click first and think about it second. Right. And if you happen to click on one of these ads and your computer starts behaving strangely, back away, turn it off. A number of these nasty programs can be identified and removed pretty quickly with basic security software. And you can do it yourself, but you can also get someone a little bit more tech savvy to help you. And also remember, the longer your device has malware on it, the, the well, the more damage it can do. So if you think you have a problem, do something about it. See something, say something. And that's our tinfoil swan. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.